Galatians 5. I'll be referencing it, but we'll not read it again quite like we have. Um, and there's a number of scripture references. So while you're finding that, let me just tell you what I decided to do, um, sort of retroactively. As usual, out there in the lobby, you have copies of my sermon notes, which have all the references in them. I try to make them as, as uh, useful that way as I can. But I've also created a sort of scripture page for last Sunday, and it's dated with April 16th on it, showing you the scriptures that we particularly look to as our guide uh, to basically Paul's explanation for the gift of the Spirit, or the fruit, I should say, that we're talking about. And so that's out there. And then this week's uh, scripture references about joy. So you have scripture reference sheets out there, sermon notes out there, and if you didn't pick them up or don't need to, for whatever reason, have more paper, I totally get that. I will email you tomorrow not only the newsletter from today, but I'll include all of this information as an attachment. So you get an email from me tomorrow, whether you want it or not, that will have these attachments if you don't pick them up today. And that's what Connie means when she says, if you haven't gotten it electronically, I send it to you every week on Monday, just in case you weren't here, let's say, to pick it up. So you can, you maybe would like to, if you're like me, you might have a, a, a iPad or something and you keep all that on a folder and look at it electronically uh, and try to save the world by not cutting down more trees. Don't worry, I waste paper in a thousand other ways. But if you would like, you can also just have paper copies. And if we run out, we're happy to make you more. So whatever you prefer. So we're in the second week of this message, uh, series of messages from Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. And the title for today, When in Joy, Enjoy, is a little take on an old saying that actually is credited with a church father named St. Ambrose who said, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Or maybe you've just heard it in a movie reference or two like I have, when in Rome, as if to say, well, as long as we're here, let's just do what the people are doing. Now, I would say that in this case, it's best understood that, best understood that when, when you are encouraged this way, you're welcoming this opportunity to be in the moment and experience it as long as it doesn't contradict some core value of yours. So in this case, the saying, when in joy, enjoy, is really a call to us Christians to live that fruit of the Spirit in a way that's visible. I mean, one thing you could say for Becky's outfit that she wore for the children this morning is there's no missing the fact that the fruit were present. You definitely got the impression that fruit was there. And the, the joke hidden in the title of today's message is it's kind of subtle, but what it means is there's a lot of us Christians going around who are presumably blessed with the fruit of the Spirit called joy, and yet it doesn't seem to show, you know? Here's an old 40s phrase for you, sourpuss. <laughs> a face that doesn't show a lot of joy <laughs> would be called a sourpuss. And so we want to try not to be that way. 
The whole purpose that Paul is getting at in Galatians is not really to teach you a list of fruit that you should try to bear, but rather to let you live the freedom of the gospel and as a consequence, bear fruit. And then almost as an afterthought, he names some of the fruit that you might see if you live the freedom of the gospel. His entire letter sets out to condemn the idea of slavery to the law of the flesh. And it has everything to do with the fact that as Christianity began to take hold after the ascension of Christ, Jews being saved first naturally struggled with their old commitment to the law and the outward disciplines that came with it, the disciplines of the flesh. And they then tried to make the gospel of Christ conform to the old law. And Paul is earnestly, even angrily, rejecting the idea of these people who were called Judaizers. Judaizers were hyper-legalistic Christians who believed basically that if you kept all the Jewish disciplines of the old law and then capped it off with Jesus as your savior, you had finally arrived at righteousness. But it was a righteousness that depended upon you and your ability to live the law of the flesh. And Paul is adamant, angrily adamant, that they give up this crazy idea. He's not happy with the Judaizers at all. And I would paraphrase him by saying that, in effect, what he was driving at is, is that if you're trying to be hyper-legalistic about how you live out your faith, and you're saying, well, you know, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, if you're trying to work out your salvation by keeping a list of doctrines and, and disciplines, that you are, in effect, a very well-pruned tree that never bears any fruit. You know, this time of the year, you see these, there's a, it's a certain kind of peach tree. Absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. I've seen them in all kinds of church lots and parking lot, uh, uh, parking lots of stores and in people's yards. And, or, no, it's a pear tree. I beg your pardon. It's a pear tree. See, I don't really know what I'm talking about. You know, I have to stick to scripture because that I know. But, but this certain kind of tree, they call it a fruit-bearing tree, and it's beautiful, but I've never seen fruit on it. Every year it blooms and looks beautiful, and it's absolutely incredible with its white blossoms and its beautiful shape and everything. It's absolutely stunning to look at. No fruit. No fruit. And that's what we're getting at. To keep the law of the flesh, the, the, the legalistic idea will just make you that way. And what Paul wants you to hear is it's all about the fruit that you bear. That is to say, I, you will bear fruit because of the freedom you have in Christ to just be you. I've heard that some people have a pretty profound reaction to last week's message, and I praise God for that, because what I hope you hear is the voice of Christ saying, you're okay, I made you that way. You know, he's saying that you've been redeemed not because of anything you did or didn't do. 
and you're good enough because I said so. I mean, you really got to let that sink in if you want to be a fruit-bearing Christian believer. You have to let it sink in that your best is good enough and that you should not compare yourself to other Christians and, God forbid, Judaizers or hyper-legalistic Christians who are saying that your Christianity is inadequate unless it conforms to certain corporate behaviors and ideas that are built more on human tradition and custom than they are the true gospel of freedom through grace. And so that brings me then to the next of the uh, images of fruit of the spirit and it's joy. Now, Joy is not the virtue in Christian life that corresponds to happiness in the world. That's the first thing you need to recognize, that the joy that comes as a result of being free through God's grace, redeemed by Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, that joy is not about happiness. Happiness is a desire that is fulfilled for the sake of the flesh. Happiness depends on your circumstances. But Christian joy doesn't. Now, if only I could give you a simple explanation of Christian joy, but I can't. Joy in the original language is a word uh, in Greek that sounds like chara or kara, and it is roughly translates to the word delight. Delight is defined as a high degree of gratification or pleasure. Joy, also extreme satisfaction, something that gives great pleasure, the power of affording pleasure. That's what Webster's Dictionary says, but honestly, even that doesn't get you there. The Apostle's definition of love, which we talked about last week, uh, ends with an indication of his thought. When he says, remember from, from uh, 1 Corinthians 13 last week, we read the famous love passage. And the very last thing he says in that passage is, so now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. So basically, when he says these three abide, what he's alluding to is a sort of Trinitarian Paradigm. I don't think it's an accident that, that Paul has created another form of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by saying faith, hope, and love. And love is the best or the greatest of all. Well, let's just think about what he might have been driving at here, because what I thought was this. The Son is our sole source of hope. Our son, the son is our sole source of hope. The father is the love that drives everything. The father is the love that drives everything. He, for love's sake, created what became humanity, us, the Adam. He created us for the sake of the son whom he loves even more than he loves us. And there's no way he can measure how much he loves us, but he loves Jesus more. 
And then there's the spirit that informs our faith. And so this trinity of faith, hope, and love mirrors what the apostle wants us to understand about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So how do we get closer to what Paul means by the fruit of joy? If Christian joy could be thought of as faith informed by the Spirit so that your independent decision can't get you there without the Spirit's help, then hope is informed by Christ's guaranteeing your salvation, your only hope. And the one who promises to return for you And then the supreme love of God who uses the Son to redeem you for love's sake is this recipe for joy. Then maybe it looks like this. I know. Just bear with me. My brain hurt by the time I started writing all this down. So here's what I mean by this. The Apostle Paul is saying Christian joy comes because the Father loves you so intensely that he is bent on saving you and he wants to save you for the sake of the son who he loves even more. And because of the son, you can be restored to a right relationship with God for the sake of the son. And the reason you understand what I'm talking about is because God's spirit has informed your thinking. And so if this makes sense to you and you're beginning to feel the power and the compelling nature of the Holy Spirit warming you to this intense love for the Son, you've just sort of been absorbed into the idea of Christian joy. So joy is not about being happy all the time. Joy is not always going to happen in a way that makes you laugh at disaster. You know, you're not going to look stupid or silly when you're filled with Christian joy. You're going to look as though you have this incredible resolve that everything's okay even when it doesn't seem like it is. Christian joy is like that. Christian joy says in multiple words what we don't seem to have language for in English. It basically means that when we are in a state of Christian joy, we are experiencing the love of the Father, the hope of the Son, and the faith generated by the Spirit in us. And so I believe what Paul was doing in all of his various letters. And by the way, I should tell you that, that scholars will inform you that, that whoever put together the Bible for whatever reason decided that Paul's letters would be ordered according to their length. So Romans is the first of the letters, but it's not the first one he wrote. It's actually one of the last that he wrote. It's his masterwork. Right, And so if you look at the New Testament epistles, which is just a fancy word for letters, it means nothing that they are in the order that they are in other than they started with the longest one and they finished with the shortest one. Okay, doesn't mean the Bible's not good and trustworthy in any way. The Spirit can make all of that make work out for us. But the reality is, is that if you read through Scripture in the order that it was probably written, you will notice that Paul is developing his ideas about these things 
over and over and over again. So you want to read all the scriptures written by Paul to get back to what he means by bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm just trying to give you a high view and probably not doing a very good job of it. But the high view is basically that Paul wants you to understand that your whole nature changes when you embrace the gospel of freedom that comes through Christ. When, when you stop trying to be religious, when you stop trying to be uh, a good Christian, you turn into a good Christian. When you stop trying to pretend like you're happy and you embrace Christian joy, you are filled with the fruit he calls joy. So if the formula for Christian joy is faith, hope, and love, and we've already considered what love is, then let's just take a quick view of what these other two elements are, just to put it all in, into a complete package and hopefully end up with something that will help you live your Christian life in a more profound and joyful way. So he said faith was one of those three elements Faith is a word that he would have written in Greek as pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And according to Paul, faith is equivalent to being Christian. So what that means is, is that you're really, your, your faith is not something that you can force to happen. I mean, look at it this way. If you have faith in, you know, this is, I, preachers have used this analogy forever. You've, you've probably never heard this, or if you have, I guarantee it was an old preacher that told it to you. There's a story about a guy who would walk across the gorge by the uh, Niagara Falls. If you've ever been there, it's terrifying. And, and he would walk on a wire across the gorge by Niagara Falls. And people would come from everywhere to watch him do this. And the story goes that he said to someone in particular, you know, do you really believe I can do this? And they said, of course I believe you could do it. I've seen you do it. And so the guy gets a wheelbarrow out and puts it up on the wire and says, you have faith in me to do this? Yes. And he says, yes, I do. They get in the wheelbarrow. Let me take you for a walk. You know, now that's faith. Right? That's faith. Faith in Christ to redeem us is something we can have on a very superficial level because we can't deny what we've been told. But the real faith comes, may I be quite frank with you, at the hour of your death. And the longer I'm in ministry, the longer I do church life with people, and the older I get, the more I face death. I've faced it so much in my life with others and I can tell you with certainty that when people are at the hour of their death, that's when their faith is so tested. There's the moment when you say, okay, I believed, I believed this all my life, but now I'm about to enter into it, this thing that I believe Jesus did for me. And so faith becomes something you can't name. It becomes something you can't quantify. It becomes something you can't put, you know, uh, under your name as a title or some sort of, of credential. Because at that moment, you're getting in the wheelbarrow, crossing into heaven, as it were. 
And there's where you will know whether you have faith or belief. So Paul wants you to understand that faith is what saves you. Faith is the thing that absolutely doesn't depend on you, but you entirely depend on it. Every Christian is saved by God's grace through faith as a gift from God, he says, and not as the result of anything they do. That's Ephesians 2.8. Paul wants you to understand that your faith wasn't something you gave God, it's something God gave you. Remember when I said earlier that if you are buying what I'm selling, if you're getting what I'm saying, it's because the Holy Spirit is generating that faith in you? That's what I mean. That's what I'm trying to say. It's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. I don't say it with any authority other than the fact that I'm convinced of my own faith at this point. I don't say it like you should believe me because of who I am or the credentials I have. I'm saying it simply as a matter of fact about how I believe. I have faith that I can't express without having the Holy Spirit in me to express it from within. And this is what the apostle wants you to get. That's why he says Christian joy is dependent on faith as well as hope and love because faith is informed by the Holy Spirit and the only way you're going to know for sure that you've got that faith that will get you through the veil on the day you die is when you realize that you didn't generate that faith, that that faith did not come from within you. It came as a gift from God. And so now we're back to the real heart of the gospel. See, Paul's really, he's, he's put a lot into this because he doesn't want people to fall back into the habit of depending on their religion and their customs within their religious community. He wants them to depend on Christ. He wants them to depend on Christ. And the gospel of Christ is informed by a faith you didn't earn, a faith you didn't generate. You couldn't prove it to yourself, no matter how hard you tried. You just knew that you knew that you knew, and you know you know. And that's the moment when it becomes a gift from the Spirit. So now we get to hope. Now hope, like faith, is something we think we understand, and yet what Paul means isn't the same as what we think. He used the word in Greek, elpis, E-L-P-I-S, and the majority of New Testament writers have interpreted that as hope, but Paul would have rather said something like a nuanced version of the idea of confident expectation. In other words, he didn't mean, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. He means, I know it's not going to rain tomorrow. It's just that tomorrow hasn't come yet. You see, what he says hope, that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand. The hope that in our formula creates Christian joy is not a wish, it's a truth that has yet to be fulfilled. It's the now but not yet of Christianity. 
It's a concept that theologians talk about, but maybe you don't hear it in church very much. The idea is, is that we are filled with an expectation that Christ is coming back. It's not a hope. It's not, gee, I hope he comes back. It's, I know he's coming back. I just don't know when. And yet he's here because of his spirit present in each of us. You remember that Easter Sunday, I talked about how if you want to see Jesus, look at the person next to you. If they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're Jesus. And so that's that now but not yet thing. He's here. I pray with all my heart that you're hearing his voice more than mine right now. But he's not come back yet. So it's a now but not yet. And that's the hope of the Christian. And so now we'll put it all together and I'll wrap it up and we'll go to the Lord's table. So when Paul talks about joy as a fruit of the spirit, what he wants you to understand is, is that it's informed by faith, hope and love. Most important being the love of the father. So your assurance that God loves you is the main ingredient in your fruit of joy. Even in the worst of your days, in the darkest of your hours, God loves you. And if you measure that by human terms of flesh, you're entitled to feel a little bit let down because if he loves me, I'd hate to think of what he'd do to me if he didn't. But that's not how this works, you see, because we're asking God to conform to the flesh. And God doesn't look at us as temporal beings. He looks at us as eternal beings. He loves us so much, he assured us of that. He loves us so much that he made you someone that he will know for all eternity. And the fact that this momentary lapse through temporal existence is painful isn't a really big deal to God because it's really just a grain of sand on a world full of sand called your eternal existence. And so your hope in his love or your faith in his love is the most important thing. And so no matter how bad your circumstances, rest assured that God loves you. And for the love of the son, he saved you in order that you could be in a relationship with his son for all eternity. And that formula then is informed by our faith, which is a faith we did not generate through our own research and study. All of those things help, but at the moment when you had that, aha, I get it, and you still don't exactly understand how that happened, that is faith given as a gift. I just had this thought pop into my head for a moment that, that uh, it's kind of like when a baby is conceived, at some moment there's this spark of humanity that comes. That soul arrives in the flesh. And it's like that. Two people can't make that happen. Only the Spirit of God can make that happen. You can make a baby, but you can't make a soul. God makes the soul, and the soul is like your faith. It's when you've created a circumstance where the elements have come together and you're pretty sure you've got this and then this divine spark happens and your faith has just been informed by the Holy Spirit. And then the last, of course, is this absolute certainty of 
the truth of the gospel, the truth of the stories of Jesus, the truth of all these things, to realize that no matter what the world says to you, no matter how many ways it lies to you, no matter how many ways it presents you with counterfeits, the reality is true. The real thing is certain and the time frame is in motion and the fact of the return of Christ and the absolute fulfillment of everything that he intends for us as his beloved creation is going to happen. It's the same hope, uh, the same sort of divine informed faith. It's a hope that is informed so that you have a joy that nobody could take away from you. And I believe that's what Jesus meant when he said, gave us this final passage that I would like to share with you. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, when Jesus says that to you, he is telling you, what a joy you have in your heart when you receive Christ. I pray you receive that joy, that you have that joy, and that one of the things we can share together when we both know we have that joy is a stupid grin that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> when, when no matter what's going on, we just know God's got this. Then we're getting close. Let us pray. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for pushing me through. Now you go the rest of the way, inform their faith, inform their hope, generate their joy, Lord, with your Holy Spirit and count me as a broken but useful vessel, I pray. Amen. Amen.